gets a little hot in here. Campaign three. Hi, everybody. I'm on page 30 of the info document. (laughs) (laughs) Lots, lots of pages and pages and pages of information that I've been sending to my my friends here. Welcome to Foes and Fables, an actual play TTRPG podcast. And this is the first episode of Campaign 3. We are so excited to jump into a new sci-fi world as well as a brand new system. This campaign will be run using the Star Wars 5E system. In many ways, it's going to reflect 5th edition D&D in pretty similar ways with the biggest difference being starship combat. But don't worry, we are learning this right alongside you and we will be doing our best to keep it simple for you, our listener. We have a big story ahead of us, so without further ado, I am your humble game master, Tanner Azanero, joined by your incredible players who are going to introduce themselves, but not their characters just yet. For the first time ever. Wow. Angela Stenzel. That's a woman on my fellas. <laughs> Hey, bitch. Let's go. (laughs) Wow. We are skyrocketing in the amount of slay that this podcast is achieving. Finally. Um, It's about time. Man, we've finally gone woke. Um, (laughs) It was HR. End the episode. I'm HR. We've we've slain monsters, but now it's time to slay monsters. (laughs) End the episode. Oh, we're very, 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 very excited to have Angela on this campaign. That's my wife. This is David Sturgis. Hi, I'm Nathan Augustine. I'm Angela's husband, Zach. (laughs) (laughs) He no longer has his own identity. He's just my husband. Yeah, here's the thing. All the payback for Zach yelling at me over the past couple of campaigns that we've done together is going to happen righteously and without um, apology. What are you talking about? I've never yelled at you. The only downside... Shut up. The only downside is that I am also going to get yelled at so much more this campaign. (laughs) This is Um, absolutely... True. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, uh, we can't wait. Well, now you can have it in stereo. Without further ado, <laughs> let's begin. Cold, unwelcoming metal. It makes up the walls, floor, ceiling, and seating within a small, compact room with white paint that sickens the occupant, contrasting the appearance of an endless white void with the reality of a tiny, claustrophobic space. The sleek innards of this tiny room are that of a dungeon cell. Angela, your character is the unfortunate occupant of this cell. Would you please introduce them and their appearance? So before you, we see Mavia Brigante, Princess Mavia Brigante, laying in her cell with feline features, thick, luscious brown curls, bright green cat-like eyes, Um, and some hidden claws under her nails, curled up, but not in a quite defeated position, Um, just reminiscing on the tragic events 
of the weeks prior and dreaming of the horrors that await. The tragic events are actually of hours prior for you sitting in this cell. Would you please describe your thoughts and current emotional state as three different things occupy your attention? Firstly, that only a few hours ago, you witnessed the assassination of your older sister, Ashana. Secondly, that your younger sister is behind Ashana's assassination and intended for you to die with her. And lastly, that your life depends on you escaping this cell. Mavia is not a quitter. She has had a lot of life to hone the skills that she's wanted. And so she is curled up, contemplative, and just burning with rage and grief. And she's allowing that to kind of fuel her um, as she reminisces on what happened and her millions of plans she's trying to make in her head, the calculations of how is she going to get out of here. As you are contemplating, you have been overwhelmed. Though it was hours ago that this incident took place, you've only been in the cell for maybe about 20, 30 minutes or so. The walls in here are well and truly blank, but you know better than to give up hope so easily. Mavia, will you give me a technology check with advantage? Ooh. Yes. First roll of the, ca- of the new campaign. This is such an honor. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the advantage. That was a nat 20. Nice. Whoa. Oh my God. Yeah, Tanner, you just got crit on by my wife. <laughs> This okay. definitely means we're gonna do that? really well for the rest of the campaign. <laughs> for sure. It can't so go down from here. <laughs> um, Never say that again, Zachariah. Never. <laughs> you waiting in contemplation in this cell has been exclusively to wait for the guards who put you here to get far enough away that you can immediately stand up and walk over to a part of the wall that you know has a secret control compartment. You touch this blank spot on the wall and this panel slides open. Uh, You see a keypad and a small display. Um, The brand of this device sits plainly at the bottom of the compartment. You read the name Reliance and feel disgust at the sight of the logo. As your fingers tremble above the keypad, you remember that your security code overrides all others here as princess within your own castle. A benefit of your title. You wonder if your status has already been revoked or if you might be able to let yourself out, but you do know this code if that is what you want to punch into the keypad. Is this a... Would this be considered a computerized defense or lock? Um, or a physical lock? Te- technically, yes, it would be considered a computerized Can lock. I use my slicers kit instead? Instead of risking? I don't think she yeah, would why risk does, what her Yeah, what does code. that do? 
Um, so the slicer's kit can bypass computerized defenses and locks. It's a tool, and I'm proficient. Cool. In all tools. Yeah. Um, go ahead and roll with advantage because you have a because of the nat twenty that you rolled. Fourteen. Yeah, you easily. What is? It's called a slicer's kit. It's called a slicer's kit. Okay, cool. Um, I think that you just straight up like take this thing apart, um, uh, pulling at certain buttons and kind of getting your long claws kind of behind certain like rubber input pads and just yanking out uh, very specific. Um, cables and wires on the inside until something kind of sparks and the compartment door in front of you just (laughs) rises open uh, in front of you. You carefully peer out into the hallway. You don't see anyone out there, but you see two different routes to take. Um, Both lead to the dungeon's exit as you are aware of the makeup of this dungeon, Um, but you can go to the left or you can go to the right. Right. Okay. You turn down to the right. Uh, You look around another corner after having traveled down. Uh, You see two humanoids in full soldier attire. These soldiers do not conform to the emerald green and gold colors of the royal city. Their armor is bulky and black, meant for withstanding heavy blaster fire. Helmets obscure their faces, making them uniform with a singular identity, with bulky foreheads that blend into a long visor with a singular viewplate, black as their armor, like a void that can't be seen through. The only identifying feature is the white letters stamped onto their pauldrons, R-L-P. Give me a stealth check, please. Eight. Eight. I should have listened to Beyonce and gone the box to the left. You. (laughs) (laughs) If only Beyonce were here. We're already slaying. Um, We'll get to my character introduction later. Oh, no. Surfboard. Board? Board? Man. Um, Anyways, uh, you uh, uh, peek your head around and see the two RLP soldiers. Um, and as you turn to look, they also are turning and making a reversal in the hallway and they see you and they go, Hey, Hey, get over here. And they start chasing after you. I run. Okay, I great. run. Yeah. Um, as you run, uh, are you turning back around? Or are you trying to, so when you get down this hallway, then there's another right and left. They are to your right towards the exit. Are you trying to go back the way you came or this new direction down the hallway that they were patrolling? Not past them, but away from them. Away. I'm going to go. I'm going to try to go to Beyonce's the box to the left. I'm okay. going to try to go down the other hall. <laughs> okay, no, so you, <laughs> so I'm you running backtrack. Back. Yeah. Um, uh, as you backtrack, you uh, run uh, face first into someone also rounding the corner. Um, they are wearing robes um, that fit the royal city attire in the green, uh, emerald green and gold colors. Um, you look and you see that this is uh, Trotter, who is a tourist man like you. Um, Trotter is the jailer here in the cell. 
Uh, you run into him and he just says, get behind me. Uh, he pushes you behind him and pulls out a blaster and starts just unloading on these two RLP soldiers. Um, Shout out to Trotter. Uh, his blaster is clearly reinforced in some way because it cuts right through their armor and they both are taken down um, out of the surprise of the moment. Um, uh, Trotter says, my lady, are you okay? I'm fine. Just surprised. Thank you for saving me with your gun. We need to get you out of here. We do as fast as possible. Follow me. Okay. Uh, Trotter leads you out through back hallways, evading other patrolling RLP soldiers until you quietly make your way out of the castle and eventually beyond the limits of the Royal city. You walk through wilderness for about 30 minutes through a forest, the lush, green beauty of your planet called Turashik that you have known all your life. As you rush along, the greenery around you flashes back and forth from your present surroundings to memories of more peaceful times when snow glistened along the ground of the only planet with changing seasons in the entire system. One step and you hear the snap of a twig beneath your feet. Another the crunch of snow cuts through the silence of the forest, and then another step whose sound is poisoned by the harsh thud of your sister as she fell to the ground. You do your best to shake off these thoughts, and you approach a small farm. Trotter introduces you to the owner, another tourish woman named Imsho. Imsho powers up a small spaceship, uh, readying the craft for takeoff. Um, Trotter starts handing you uh, all of your equipment. Um, you get a blaster rifle, you get this Viber Rapier, um, along with a, a pack of a pack of supplies and everything. Uh, and then he hands you a coffer. You see this blue data card um, uh, with like glowing blue um, data bits exposed within it. Uh, you guys take this coffer. There's 5,000 credits on there. You get yourself as far from Turashik as you can. Imsho will transport you to Pluck 2. There will be another pickup for you at the spaceport when you arrive. Go straight to Bay U84. A pilot under someone I trust will take you even further from there. Trotter, are you going to be okay? All will be okay. Are you sure? Yes, you are not alone, Your Grace. No matter how big the system is, there is help and hope everywhere. Make sure my sister's body is buried properly. I will do what I can. Um, he helps you get up into the spaceship. The doors close. Thrusters fire up. You've been in ships before, but never ones that have left Turashik's atmosphere. You soar up into the cloud line and vanish until eventually all that's before you is open space. Distant stars of unexplored galaxies and endless possibilities surround you entirely. The emptiness hits you like a strange comfort as you realize you are no longer bound by the politics of your crown. But even amidst this astral comfort, you know that you are still running from your home. A home that has been turned against you and left your family decimated. 
you look out again as Imsho turns the craft toward one of Turashik's moons. Pluck two, your first destination. You see your system's star in the distance. Beams of light pour out from a star called Shimmer. You know that the Creed used to find hope in those rays of starlight, but before hope can reach you, you see what surrounds Shimmer. The ever-forming rock meant to blot out the star. The curse left upon the system that will eventually snuff out all life. The crust. Your hope is poisoned, but it still breathes. You vanish into the ethereal abyss as Imsho enters warp drive. But thankfully, Trotter says you can trust whoever this pilot is that will be taking you to safety. And you know you are in capable hands. We move to another scene. A warehouse where we see a slimy, mucousy being with their hands crushed beneath a heavy pallet of spaceship materials that were accidentally set on top of his limbs. Um, all of the bones in his hands are shattered and a pool of viscous blood pours out from beneath the pallet as the man shouts, Oh, fuck my hands! My fucking hands! Help me! Help! Standing afar from this accident as it takes place, looking upon this scene of a workplace injury, we meet Zach's character. <laughs> What? You mean? I, I immediately get to whatever controls and lift. <laughs> you, uh, before you jump into action, let's figure out. They, we got time. Let's figure out what you look like, what your name is. Amazing. My name is Pneumonia Nimrod, but you can call me Nemo. I'm an Echnesian man, a humanoid being with pale red skin and stark blue eyes. While I have no nose, I have an opening under each of my eyes. Very small, but helps me perceive smells. I'm about 5'10", 210 pounds. I'm wearing a jacket, and uh, it's a tan jacket with a yellow and blue logo on it, tall brown boots, and a belt to keep my uh, my black pants up, with a uh, bandolier full of just tools across my chest. Nemo, will you roll me a lore check with advantage, please? Lore check with advantage. Um, lore, that is a 23. Damn. The <laughs> man high. The man who had his hands crushed is a Glossian man named Vug. Vug. Uh, <laughs> he has not Vug, he dude. Has, like humanoid appendages, but his body is like one tall singular mass. He looks like Pickle Rick. Uh, I hate that. He has like no neck, but his smooth skin is covered entirely by a thin membrane of mucus. Um, this is the second time that Vug has had an appendage of his completely crushed. Uh, your immediate reaction to this is more of a sigh of annoyance than it is concern. Uh, the pallet that was set down on top of Vug was being operated by another Galashian, Vug's cousin who he helped get hired named Spud. Um, 
Fucking uh, Spud. Spud is not forklift certified with that uh, high lore check that you have. Uh, he should not have been operating uh, this machinery at all. Oh, fuck! Oh, I can't believe this is happening again! Um, <laughs> Spud, lift it! Uh, you got it, boss! Okay! Uh, he lifts it up. Um, Vug's hands are going to grow back tomorrow. He'll be fine. Uh, yeah, but that's tomorrow. I needed the help today. <laughs> yeah, yep. <laughs> God, I can't believe my notes this early in the campaign include the words not forklift certified. <laughs> Where's Rudy when you need him? Oh, sad. <laughs> um, Teach me your ways, Rudy. You work, Rudy. You work to help get things back in order and continue your job as a shipment sorter. You work for a company called Starseeker Logistics, helping to sort shipments of starship parts as they make their way all across the system. And you live and work on a moon called Kemek, orbiting the planet Igneous Mons. As you finish up correcting the Glossian's mistake, you are approached by your warehouse supervisor, an Oshpar man named Yik Enum. As an Oshpar species, Yik is humanoid, um, appearing mostly human save for the large light pink pearl in place of his cranium and forehead. Um, all of his joints are also connected by exoskeletal pearls, and you and Yik are decently close as far as co-workers go. Uh, he just says, Nemo, will you step into my office uh, for a, a private matter, please? Yes, is everything okay? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yes. Great. I, can we trust them to clean this up or Oh yeah. I, at this point you've gotten it like taken <sighs> care of. Um fucking fug. Fug went home. Um, Spud no longer has the keys uh, to yep. the forklift. I, I I put them on my like bandolier yep. across my chest. <laughs> yep. Um yeah, the warehouse continues to move. There's hundreds of workers here. It's mm. a big warehouse, lots of big starship parts moving. Um you walk into Yik's office, it is pristine. Uh, Well-organized data tablets glow amidst a soft, warm light from a glow rod in the corner of the room. Uh, large tank of various exotic fish uh, from the planet Dasqua kind of swim around within the aquarium. I, uh, I feed the fish as I walk in. Uh, you pour some uh, uh, food in. Uh, it's You know it's one of Yik's like, most prized possessions. Um, he does not let a lot of people feed them, but he lets you do it. Um, he specifically uh, very much enjoys uh, an orange fish with a large gaping mouth called Bismo. Um, <laughs> Yik Bismo, large orange fish, gaping maw, gaping maw. Um, Yik sits down and gestures for you to sit across uh, from him. I sit, Nemo. Um, I I have something urgent. Uh, I need to get done, but I'm unable to do so myself. In the same token, there isn't any other person at this warehouse I trust to get this job done like you can. Well, thank you. Uh, it's very last minute, um, but I'm really hoping you agree to it. But I'll, I'll be asking a lot of you. Uh, I'll have to check my plans. I like pull out like a little device with a calendar. It's completely blank. <laughs> um, I mean, I think I can squeeze it in. Um, do you want the job description first or the... Yeah, that'd be best. Payday. Got it. Um, I have, have a small cargo vessel. Um, I need it uh, taken to oh. pluck two. Um, you'll have one pickup, a single passenger. Uh, they're going to be waiting for you at Bay U84. Uh, Pick up the passenger with 
look at me, extreme discretion. Okay. And take them to Rutan. Uh, once you escort this passenger, uh, get him to the Grim Market uh, in the city of Angerboda, uh, where you'll find a Zendish woman named Boz Ongo. Uh, bring this passenger to Boz, and the job is done. Sorry, I gotta interject. I just said a lot of made up words. Glup Shido be there too. Whoa! Glup Shido cameo. <laughs> oh man! Wow. I hope you guys are ready for sci-fi. <laughs> are we gonna meet, meet anyone named like John? <laughs> I mean, Steve. Don't meet one guy named John, and he'll my, be the weirdest person you meet. My, my name, you'll learn. Yeah, 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 that's, yeah. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Okay. Uh, oh. Okay, um, piloting. Yeah, I know. I told you I'd be asking a lot of you. Oh, when? Okay, um, quick job. Just a couple quick, days. Just a couple days. <sighs> um, Yik pulls out a coffer, which is a thick, like glowing blue uh, card mm -hmm. with code exposed in the design. They are basically, literally, in this case, credit cards and yeah. old credits and nice. stuff. Um, he slides it across the desk towards you. It's 10,000 credits on that card. <laughs> um, you <laughs> give me lore with advantage, please. Okay. <laughs> uh, 19. Um, this is like over quadruple the pay of any career job that you've ever taken before. Um, you would average like the, your old job used to be pilot. Mm -hmm. and you would do career work, um, whether it be packages, um, deliveries or literally um, people that you would transport. Um, you made like 120 credits a month or so mm -hmm. uh, with that job. Um, so this is a lot. This is crazy. Now you make a lot less uh, since you have like yeah. downgraded to um, uh, this, you know, working in the assortment center. Yick, that's so much. What's going on? I don't ask a lot of questions. I just. Okay. Uh, what ship am I going to take? Uh, there's a um, J9 uh, in the in the hangar across the way. I mean, J9, that's a. Ooh. It's a it's a little. um little passenger shuttle like very very common very small and uh discreet okay what? give me give me um a piloting check with advantage Ooh, i can do that 15 um it's a zenith brand the j9 okay. uh, passenger shuttle um specifically the one that he's talking about you know doesn't have any defense systems on it mm. no no blasters no nothing That doesn't make me feel very good. I mean, this is this is a lot. I know. I wouldn't be asking you if it wasn't very important to me. All right. When do I got to get out of here? Immediately. I, I can't go home. I can't. Uh, no. I um. Real last minute. Okay, um, who's going to cover my shift? I'll take care of it. Don't worry. All right, as long as it isn't Fug. You're right. <laughs> I got Fug, Fug will go nowhere near your uh, My stuff. Desk. Yeah. Yeah, good. No. 
<sighs> Not again. I aware I just got it cleaned out for yes, the third time. I know. Well, I'll keep his mucus away from. Okay. Um, I snatched the card, kind of put it in like a larger pocket on my bandolier. Ten thousand credits. <laughs> um. All right. Let me add that to my inventory. At ten thousand credits. Um. All right. I head back to my desk. I kind of grab everything I need. Uh. Um, yeah, kind of everything in my... Mm-hmm. Before you head out, he mm-hmm. hands you, um, he hands you this, uh, little activation cylinder. It's a small, like, thumb size, like, metal cylinder with a triangular grip on one end. It's used to unlock a ship's warp drive capability. Mm-hmm. Um, sp- starships in the Shimmer system, they don't have keys, so, like, theft can happen a lot if you don't essentially, like keep the space where you keep your starship stuck. However, stealing a starship is stupid because if you don't have the activation cylinder, you can't jump to warp drive. Yeah, very important. S- slow your way out of here, which means you're going to get caught. So, All right, Yik, I guess I'll be uh, back in a couple days. Okay, um, see you then. Stay safe. Stay yeah. discreet. What we can do. Over and out. Uh, bye. You make your way out of the warehouse and onto the Star Seeker Logistics lot. Stark white concrete roads contrast against pastel pink warehouse buildings beneath a clear blue sky. It's about 64 degrees, a little bit chillier than usual. You glance up at Shimmer's rays stretching all across the system. You figure it must be a tough day up there on the crust mining the rock away to make sure that the starlight can reach your moon across the lot you enter a large hangar where star seekers fleet of spaceships sit and find the one yik reserved for this job the zenith j9 okay little boxy starship with kind of a long central cabin and two fins jutting forward on each side the entry ramp is already lowered for you um, as you step in and take the helm. Uh, what does okay. it feel like? Bad. <laughs> it feels bad. Okay. Uh, oh. I just take some like real deep breaths, um, which I just realized my character is absolutely, I guess, a mouth breather because he doesn't have a nose. So it's like... <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Uh, I just, I close my eyes just for a second and just kind of like autopilot, let myself turn everything on without even like looking at the control panels, just being like, I know how to turn this thing on, get it all ready. And- yeah. You just start um, setting up and everything. You start doing your um, uh, prepping your astrogation equations to jump to warp drive. Um, thrusters kick on. And you kind of grab um, this lever to elevate yourself and start ascending uh, out of the atmosphere. Uh, the second that you grab that lever, you just reminisce and blaster fire. <laughs> and memory of an image of a three fingered hand with the middle finger broken at a harsh right angle. You kind of release the lever for a minute. Calm yourself. Gently grab it again. And you float up, zooming past the atmosphere. And you jump into warp drive. 
It gets easier as you go, but unwanted memories of the fateful day that made you quit piloting invade your focus. Innocent screams, a cacophony of violence and blaster fire, but you shake it off and vanish into the dark. As we close on this scene, we are going to move backward in time. One cycle, or as we call them, years, prior to Nemo and Mavia setting off on their journeys, we go to the planet Arba, a gorgeous planet of lush green forests with enormous redwood trees all throughout. We see something that does not seem natural growing from the ground in this beautiful forest. A mushroom, a few feet tall and quite large for a mushroom. It is black and white with a thick black outline around the mushroom's form like an old school cartoon. The mushroom bounces up and down as if it's dancing to some unheard music. Two young boys, about 12 and 10 cycles old, appear in the distance, quickly running toward the bizarre mushroom. And the older boy shouts to his younger brother, Whoa, look how big it is! Look at how big it is! It seems these two have been kind of monitoring the rapid growth of this mushroom uh, over the course of a week or so. But this day, as they approach, the mushroom bursts forth from the ground with a wacky popping noise and the alien creature stands before these two younger brothers. Nathan, would you please introduce your character to us? The name's Charles Cloudcap salutes and a little ding with his teeth, his really shiny teeth. Um, Charles is known as a pie-eyed. He is a black and white rubber hose cartoon-like mushroom. Uh, he wears gloves on his hands and has big boots on his feet. Uh, defining of his species, a pie-eyed, his eyes are black dots with triangular wedges removed from said dots resembling a pie. Charles is perpetually smoking a cigar as it seems to never burn out. <laughs> the moment you're born from the ground, this becomes your first memory. Mm -hmm. Yo, happy birthday. <laughs> these two boys, Frosty. these two boys uh, staring at you in amazement and slight understandable fear. Um, <laughs> what you didn't know then that you do now, that these two boys were of a species called Humish, um, appearing mostly the same as human, but with four eyes, pointed ears, and a foxtail growing uh, from the rear end of each. Tight. Your eyes open and this memory washes away from you as you awake. You are in a dingy, crowded sleeping space. A hostel. One that has been your home for, you know, give or take six or so months now. That memory was from a cycle ago, and it was the day you met your first family. The Poughkeepsies. You remember them fondly, startling you out of your calm awakening. Hanging upside down from the bunk bed above yours, you see a flat, hollow human skin suit with empty eye sockets staring directly at you. Um, the skin Jeepers! suit. <laughs> the skin suit. <laughs> you scared the shit. <laughs> I forgot that 
Angela jumps really easily. Oh man, all my scary stuff is gonna feel really scary now. It is. I'm gonna go. Ah. Uh, uh, the skin suit notices um, <laughs> that you say jeepers, um, and it says. Oh, sorry, Chuck. I didn't mean to spook you. Listen here, son. You do this every morning. I'm sorry. I'm just putting on my body. Uh, the skin suit <laughs> lifts up and out of sight, uh, and you hear this wet skin <laughs> sliding onto a skeleton. Doesn't get easier. Give me a, a fucking nightmare. Give me a lore check with advantage, please. Okay. That's a 17. Uh, this skin suit is a species called a pelt walker. Oh. Uh, they are naturally born humanoid skin suits who move throughout the system constantly seeking the perfect skeleton to give their flat form structure. Um, you leave G-Money alone. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Oftentimes, these skeletons are an amalgamation of different actual skeletons, droid parts, and other miscellaneous findings. Good. Um, this <laughs> pelt walker has been your bunkmate for the past few weeks, and their name is Limbo. <laughs> Listen, Limbo, you gotta stop doing that. I know it's just your thing and that's what you do, but it's really, really frightening in the uh, morning. They hop down from the top bunk uh, and they are just like their face doesn't match. So like part of the thing of a pelt walker and part of the reason that they combine like droid parts and different skeletons is because their skin suit doesn't fit perfectly every single bone. Sure, so yeah. they try to make like a perfect skeleton Born to throughout suffer. their whole life. Yeah, yeah, straight up. So like their eye hole is like not perfectly matching <laughs> um, one of their eye sockets and everything. And they just look a little messed up. Um, you could tell that uh, Limbo, uh, they have had a rougher time than other, <laughs> than other pelt walkers getting uh, their skeleton to match. Oh, I know. I'm sorry. Uh, look, um, I'm going to go grave robbing today, and hopefully I find something good that'll make it so I don't... It's just more comfortable not to wear the skeleton when I go to bed. Understandable. Understandable. Well, I'm up now, so I might as well start my day. <laughs> and then I, my legs, like, turn like to my side and just like step out of the bed while my body remains vertical <laughs> and then I like zoop on out of bed and I just kind of bounce over to the fridge and look for some milk <laughs> some milk yeah you get some 10 cow milk uh, 2% 10 cow milk um, and <laughs> pour it in <laughs> this is insane oh man the amount of sound effects that I'm gonna have to do for you he's uh, literally doing them for you. You I, don't need to find any. I want to do it on top of them. Um, anyways, take that out of context. Um, you make your way out into the lobby of the hostel, uh, say good morning to uh, some of the staff that you're familiar with. Uh, you pass by someone watching the news on a hollow screen. Good morning, Ruton. I'm Bud Rimbo with your weather report. <laughs> It's another chilly day there on Galoo's Moon with temperatures averaging at 55 degrees. Soul Miner reps at the crust report a 0.2% decrease in productivity from last week when they reported a 0.1% decrease in productivity from that week prior. Not a great trend to be continuing, but while your soul miners are doing their best to mine the crust and let that warm shimmer light keep you breathing, just remember that at least you're down, not down planet 
outside. Glue, keeping it frosty with a surface temperature of negative 100 degrees, with their soul miner reps reporting another week at a 30% below the necessary productivity needed to maintain survivability on Glue. That's your weather report for today. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with a story on another triumphant crackdown of an underground criminal union being formed on Curd LL. Sheesh, I might break out the bathing suit. Oh man, it's incredible. Oh uh, the news God. report fades to black and is replaced by a commercial promoting the Reliance Debt Relief Law and mm. how people can use it to free themselves from debt and guarantee job security. As your focus shifts from this hollow screen, the morning is yours. Typically, you begin your day visiting your friend, Good Dog, who helps you find odd jobs around town. What's good, dog? <laughs> um, I guess I just kind of like uh, whip a lighter out of nowhere and kind of relight my cigar a little bit. And I say, well, better start the day. And then I head on over to good dog. The streets are bustling, uh, filled with people of varying species, mostly wearing thick yet tattered robes, ponchos and overshirts to stay warm in the ever dropping temperatures on this moon called Ruton. Uh, this moon uh, orbits the planet Galoo that you uh, and you've been living on this moon for the past six months or so. The buildings across this moon are very rarely more than single story and are often gray rock structures carved from the moon's surface itself. Rutan's natural landscape reflects more of what we see in our moon than many other moons that resemble full planets. The sky remains a dark blue throughout most of the day, with a deep purple shimmer rise and shimmer set uh. every day. You walk past the usual beggars crowding the streets of Rutan, being that this is one of the poorest places in the system, and you live in a particularly rough town called Angerboda in adjacent to a particularly rough neighborhood called the Grim Market that you head to in this moment. Cool. Burgundy flags hang across buildings in much higher volume uh, as you walk further away from the hostel and into the Grim Market. These flags display a crude, simplistic symbol made to look like a top-down view of a tomb with three lines floating above the tomb symbol painted upon these flags with white paint. You know this to be the symbol of the crypt. Will you roll me a lore check with advantage, please? Natural 20. Nice. Ooh, okay. I'm going to tell you a bunch of stuff, and if you have any other questions on top of it, you let me know. All right. <laughs> it is currently cycle 115 of Reliance Era. The era before this was Republic Era. During Republic Era... The Crypt was a massive anti-Republic criminal organization with large armies that dragged the entire Shimmer system into war. The Crypt were allied with a dangerous group called the Coven, made up of magic users called Krulian Warlocks, or the Cruel. The Cruel, with the assistance of the Crypt, created the Crust, which now surrounds Shimmer and threatens the life of every single being in the system on a daily basis. The formation of the crust initially killed trillions of people across the system, which is now referred to as the catastrophe. 
The catastrophe eliminated a huge percentage of the crypt, and now, because the crypt so openly helped the cruel nearly bring about the end of all life in the system, they've kind of lost any respect as an organization, fearsome as they once were, and their very few numbers are referred to as the biggest losers in the system. Here on Rutan, the tiny membership that make up the crypt oversee most of the local Rutan government and are unfortunately the main powerhouse here on this moon. Many people in town prefer the bumbling criminals that make up the crypt uh, over the frightening uh, Reliance Loss Prevention RLP soldiers um, who could be overseeing this moon. You make your way into a dark alley one that you are quite familiar with, passing walls of graffiti as you approach a large open space kind of tucked between a big group of buildings. In the center of this area, a large bonfire burns. About 30 or so people line the walls, mostly chatting amongst one another or trying to sell items that were more than likely stolen. In the corner, you see your friend, Good Dog, standing by themselves. The name Good Dog is more of a nickname. Good Dog is a rare discontinued Reliance droid, specifically a G-Series DD5 droid. Written out, their name is G00DD05. Thus, many people just call them Good Dog. As you approach, you remark their unique appearance. Good Dog is a skinny, white humanoid droid with unprotected wires and connectors running all throughout their body. Their head is a large glass case, inside of which is a black Scottish terrier. From what they've described <laughs> to you, Good Dog was supposed to be a droid that gave pets higher level sentience, making it easy to have both a pet and an assistant droid all wrapped into one. Uh, this series of droid never went to market because sentient dogs are really bad assistants. Uh, the Scottish Terrier in the case barks happily as you approach and a voice emanates from the body of good dog translating the yapping. Hey there, Chuck. Uh, just the mushroom I was hoping to see. Um, last night I got an inquiry about you specifically. Who's talking about me? Uh, uh, Baz Ongo. Uh, uh, Baz. Friend of mine. Good woman. Said she has a guest coming into town today and wants a little muscle around. Um, heard about your more unique abilities and reached out. I don't know how long the job is for, uh, but she mentioned 500 credits a day. So, real nice gig. Um, I had to head over. <laughs> My eyes turn into money signs. <laughs> uh, well, uh, good dog, you usually give me the scraps, but this sounds like it'll be great. Hey, I got a pretty good one for you. I told you I'd, I'd keep my eyes out for you. Um, I always appreciate it. I'd ever, uh, head over her direction by the empty fountain as soon as you can. All right. Um, before leaving, <laughs> Good Dog uh, holds something out to you and he and hands you a stick. Oh, buddy, we, I, you want me to play fetch again? Is, is that is that you it? You can do whatever you want with that stick. I, I <laughs> listen, listen here, pal. I think you want me to throw it. Would that be correct? You are the master of your own universe, and if you want to throw it, you can throw it. 
I'm the master of my own universe, and whatever you decide to do with that stick, I will. I like take my arm and like stretch it over to my side and like kind of wrap it around my other arm and pull it back like a slingshot. And I launch the stick <laughs> so far. Like, uh, you launch it like over buildings and the dog inside of good dog starts yapping and running around in circles and good dog starts full on like sprinting <laughs> like an Olympic runner. And the translator is just going bark, 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 bark. <laughs> Uh, as good dog <laughs> runs after this stick, uh, and you start making your way over uh, to go meet Boz Ongo. That's so good. Classic good dog. <laughs> as we move from this scene, our view moves upward toward the sky, then past it to empty space. We pan over to see the star at the center of the system. This is Shimmer, from which beams of light burst forth past a rock casing that has been formed like a sphere around the star. This rock is called the Crust. The Crust threatens the life of every living being in the system every moment of every day. The Crust is ever-forming, a magical sphere intended to snuff out Shimmer and end all life in the system. Back in Republic era, magic users called the Creed, or Creedian monks, lived on the planet Durs Khan. They were druidic in faith, garnering their power from Shimmer, the ultimate life giver to the system. They were opposed by other magic users called the Cruel, or Krulian warlocks. The Cruel rejected Shimmer's power, drawing upon their own magic and believing that their power over others should allow them to rule the system as they see fit and not bend the knee to a burning ball of gas out there in space. Republic era ended with the final battle in the war between the Republic, allied with the Creed versus the Cruel, supported by the armies of the Crypt. The leader of this group of Krulians, known as the Coven, was a man named Atrox. In his final moments, as the Republic and the Creed were at the cusp of victory, Atrox cast a powerful spell to finalize his plans. This spell was the Conjuration of the Crust, the spherical layer of rock that formed around Shimmer. As the crust began to suffocate the star across the system, trillions were killed. The entire planet of Durst Khan, along with all the remaining Credians, were wiped out. Durst Khan is now a dead planet. Though the cruel were defeated, Aatrox still succeeded in forming the crust. Over the course of a week, with trillions of lives lost and the entire Shimmer system preparing for the end of all life, the Republic made a deal with a company called Reliance, who had patented the proper equipment to mine the ever-forming crust, which has allowed the system to continue on and rebuild over the last 115 cycles. Since the efficacy of a planet's mining of the crust, referred to as soul mining, is based off of the planet's tax bracket, the poorest planet in the system is on the brink of death. 
Our scene changes from the moon of Rutan to a view of shimmer in the crust. And now down to Rutan's planet, Galu. It is negative 100 degrees here on the planet. Icy winds whip across the surface. Most of the planet is a barren wasteland with layers and layers of snow burying most of the buildings and structures below. Most of Galu's inhabitants have been killed or they made their way to Rutan, causing the moon to be overcrowded with the poorest people in the system, unable to help themselves and making it easy for the remnants of the crypt to hold power over the people there. But even amidst the dying planet, there are those who find a way to survive. Across the ice, we see a figure moving along toward a large starship, wrecked into the side of an ice wall. David, would you please introduce your character? So, looking at the ground, it almost looks like you just see a rock slowly moving across this snowy tundra. (laughs) And as he goes along, uh, you see out of the rock two very thin crimson, yellow, and orange just running throughout these toothpick-like legs as this creature stands up to a full six foot ten. Uh, A shell encased with iron extends all the way down below their backside and up over their head and out around their shoulders. And within that shell is this oozy, fleshy-like creature just walking along, two antenna for eyes poking out. This creature, based off of the scaly-footed gastropod, is a snail person. Yes, yeah, so this snail is just walking across this ice now, and as uh, Balthazar continues to walk across the ice, he, out of his shell, pulls out a small little, like, petri cylinder that he puts into a device, basically blends what up is, blends what in it is inside, and says, as you were, so you shall be. And he injects himself with it, Uh, to continue forming the biofilm suit over his body to regulate the temperature on this planet. Balthazar, in front of you is the wreckage of a large spaceship. You've journeyed a bit further from your camp than normal, as you are out of food. You are hoping that this vessel still has rations left. The ship leans up against an ice wall with the front of the starship pointing upward. The ship is ripped in two with the back half laying flat on the ice while the nose is propped up. The hole is open for you to walk right in. Uh, Before I walk in, I want to check for signs of life already in and around this. Give me a survival check. 19. No signs of life around. Um, This uh, starship has been here a while, um, but not any longer than like a cycle. Um, Do you enter inside? Yeah, with that, I'll enter inside and start foraging. You enter into the ship and there's a symbol kind of on spray painted on various different walls and items. Um, 
it is a symbol of a black hole. Give me a lore check. It's an 18. You would recognize this symbol as a symbol for the Void Seeker Society, a research collective of scientists wanting to learn the secrets of the black hole that exists in a nearby star system. Um, you kind of start making your way inside. Um, you start kind of climbing up the nose, kind of mm-hmm. towards the front, um, where the uh, living quarters would be in the ship. As you recognize it, you're very familiar with many different starships. You know exactly where to go in here. The wind chill can freeze people in a matter of seconds on this planet. As you kind of climb your way up towards the top of the starship, um, you will see four um, frozen people kind of like stuck sideways facing upwards. Um, You find some like platform to stand on as you are kind of upright in this like fully standing vertically ship. (laughs) Um, You see one Aquarian, two humans and a tiefling. Are you doing anything in your search or pursuits? Um, I would say the three things I do in this room are I a look for food sustenance, B, I look for just information on their society because I'm very curious about them. And um, gotcha. I also am going to investigate the frozen bodies. Cool. <laughs> um, See if they're like somehow alive in case in this ice or anything. Give me uh, an investigation check with advantage. That's a nat 20. <laughs> oh boy. I feel no left boys. out now. Yeah, you're the only one who didn't get it. Sorry, Damn. Zach. The Aquarians, the, the, the positions <laughs> that these guys are frozen in, and again, the wind chill can t- take place in an instant. The Aquarian and the two humans are clamoring over each other in their frozen state. Um, they kind of reach out toward the tiefling who holds a blaster out toward them with one hand um, and holds something else high above their head away from the three scientists in the other hand. Um do you reach for what's in their hand? Uh, can I tell what it is before I reach for it? Uh, it's a data card. Yeah, I reach for it. Okay. <laughs> um, God damn, with a nat 20, um, you uh, insert this into your wrist pad and try to read it. Um, this data card is heavily encrypted. Um, Man, with a nat 20. Okay. The DC for this was going to be a nat 20, but now I'm going to set the DC for this at 20, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I need you to give me a lore check with advantage. It's only a 13. Um, You are not familiar with the method of encryption that exists on this data card. Well, I still keep it loaded up on my uh, wrist pad for future use. You pocket it. Um, clearly it was something that they were fighting over in the midst of their crash. Honestly, it may have been from what you're looking around with that Nat 20 investigation. It may have been the reason for this starship's Mm -hmm. crash. And then in an instant, uh, in the midst of the chaos and everything, these guys were fucking frozen. Um, you get the sense because they're standing like upright normally with the ship that the ship probably split in Mm -hmm. twain, like well after the, uh, ship crashed. As you are um, 
looking uh, around, you do notice um, like a hallway that would lead towards um, uh, food and supplies and everything. Um, there's one other thing before you move that way. Um, on the tiefling is a very small coin. Uh, the coin is gold, but heavily worn uh, as if it's very, very old. Um, and the coin has the same image shaped onto both sides. It is an image of a humanoid skull missing the bottom jaw with four eye sockets and long bones resembling braids draping down the back of the skull. Okay, so the predators are in this universe. Um, <laughs> I, I take the predator coin. <laughs> um, give me one more lore check. Talk about a PC. That's a 14. Um, you are not familiar with the alien species that is on this coin. Um, you start moving towards where they keep the rations. Um, I'm going to say you find enough food to keep you uh, alive and well for two weeks. Uh, with that, I what I know is this probably, I guess I probably have stuff back at camp now, so I will go back to camp probably. Um... I think I make a mental note of where this place is. And if I have found all that it is, I probably start making my way slowly back to camp. Okay. Or, you, I guess what time of day is it? Um, it's kind of hard to tell because Fair. you don't get shimmer light. Yeah. <laughs> you, um, so it's just constantly a frozen tundra here. Essentially nighttime all the time. It's not like dark. Mm -hmm. um, you can tell. I'll say it's daytime at yeah. the very least. It's not I, like. Yeah. And I guess I probably do just head back to camp and I'll just forage for resources and just natural things on the way home. Yeah. I'm going to say that usual. it's it's daytime where it's like you should probably start heading back cuz you're not at a mm -hmm. dangerous point away from camp, but you're like far enough that you're like the responsible thing now I'm is also to head back on Galil. Yep. Um yeah. <laughs> um as you make your way out of the wreckage, you see a large black case next to you on your way out. Uh, it's cracked open from the impact and impact empty and uninteresting except for the word stamped upon the top of the thick black case reliance the company who saved the system the company who supplies the mining equipment to the soul miners up on the crust giving them the ability to mine it the company who created the reliance debt relief law calling it the solution to financial freedom and guaranteed lifelong employment. This word stopping you in your tracks causes your mind to wander. You're on the planet Arba, secretly loading a two families up into a starship deep in the woods. They are thanking you for helping them. Some of them weep. Uh, you rescue them from the Reliance Debt Relief Law that was supposed to spare them. You've seen firsthand what the board of directors can do with their unlimited power. And you've seen firsthand that the RDRL doesn't rescue people from debt. It enslaves them. But Reliance can't call it slavery because it wouldn't sell quite the same. An alert sounds from one of the makeshift devices you carry with you informing you that your protective coating weakens the longer you stand in place 
you stay still on Galoo and you die. The alarm dies down as you continue moving. You struggle across the ice back to your camp for a while. And then you hear something. Screaming metal falling from the sky. The accelerators of a starship zoom overhead as a sleek looking starship falls out of the sky. You haven't seen a functional starship nor any other intelligent life in months. The starship gets closer and closer to the ground until in the distance, it disappears into the storm. But you hear the loud crash. You strain your eyes through the icy air, but you don't see an explosion. This ship may have survived the crash. It's about a half day's journey from you now, but Starset is in 12 hours. What do you do? <laughs> um, I guess, I mean, I have nothing to really help me out, but I just grind up a few more solutions for my biofilm suit. It's like the last of everything I had that I had portioned out for the rest of like my hopeful existence. And I'm like, no better time than now. And I start walking. You start slugging your way. Yeah, I definitely actually, I go full into, uh, I go full into snail mode so that anything that sees me just thinks I'm a rock. (laughs) (laughs) And you start making your way towards this fallen starship. As all of our various characters' timelines begin to line up, we move away from the frozen planet of Galoo and back to its moon, Ruton. Chuck, you successfully made contact with Boz Ongo. She is a Zendish, a tall, thin humanoid with rough sky blue skin, a large single eye with a red iris and a long flower stem sprouting from their head, um, the tip of which spouts a beautiful red flower that matches her eye. You both walk together, approaching landing bay U-84 at the spaceport. I'm going to ask that you be discreet. Chuck, uh, I'm going to be keeping watch over someone very important. You're not to bother, question, nor intrude upon this guest of mine. You're merely here to provide some protection for her. Is that clear? Clear as day. Up above, a spaceship begins to descend. Nemo. Yes. You land in Bay U-84 on Rutan. Um... (sighs) You did it. You have been in the spaceship for about like two days, day and a half or so with uh, Mavia. Have you guys had any kind of conversation at all? Or uh, (laughs) have you guys like... Sorry, the way we just both shot our heads at each other and we're like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like like maybe you didn't want to talk. Like maybe you were just like, I'm just doing this job and I'm getting done. Maybe you were like... I'm just in this ship and hopefully I don't die when I get out of it. Um, uh, was there any kind of conversation or were you guys staying separate from each other? I didn't start a conversation. I would say Mavia was probably also being very curt. She probably said hello, but has zero trust in whoever is flying the ship. He also looks like he's going to shit himself. So she's <laughs> just... 
she's just hoping he doesn't crash. Mm-hmm. So she probably didn't want to talk and distract him. Mm-hmm. Yep. I yeah. land with ease. You uh, exit along with Lavia. Um, you approach this Zendish woman who you both presume to be Bazongo. Um, and see next to her a bizarre looking species that neither of you have seen before. Super discreet. <laughs> really glad I was picked for this job. Um, as she approaches, uh, Boz uh, pays a nearby droid the docking fee for your ship uh, and politely bows to you, Mav. Um, my lady. Uh, she. I immediately tell her to stand up because we're trying to be discreet. Oh, she don't go. Uh, yeah, yes, sorry. Um, my apologies that we meet under such conditions. Um, I am Boz Ongo. Uh, we have much, much to discuss. Trotter told me as such. Thank you for receiving us here. Um, thank you. Um, thank you for your work, pilot. Yep. Uh, can I, should I, should I go? Can, is there a bathroom? Uh, yeah, I'm sure the spaceport has restrooms. Sprint. <laughs> <laughs> um, as you sprint away, um, before you can kind of get out of this, like, little area that you're in, um, someone out of the crowd, like, grabs your chest and, like, stops you in your tracks. Oh. And, like, uh, pushes you back. Um, what the? Uh, toward everybody else. Hey, I, I just gotta go to the bathroom. Um, around you all, uh, you quickly notice that the spaceport kind of clears out. Um, people nervously are, like, rushing away. Uh, the few people that do stay around you, though, uh, hold blasters within their hands uh, and stand facing you all intimidatingly. Um, Boz's f- face of nervousness kind of grows into panic. Um, and you all look around and see like menacing thugs like kind of surrounding you. Uh, they all wear various patches and bandanas displaying the symbol of the crypt upon them. Uh, stepping up to you all with confidence is an Ilvenian man. He has vibrant purple skin and two yellow eyes that peer at you through thick black framed glasses. He wears a black pork pie hat and a thin black leather jacket and tan slacks. Uh, The rest of the goons seem pretty rough and tumble, um, but this guy's well put together and seemingly less physically imposing, which bizarrely worries you even more. And the man says, Bazongo. Clearly, your guests must be important if they finally got you out of hiding. Kaj, I will get you your credits, but this is something that you need to walk away from. And why is that? This isn't a job. I'm not getting paid for this. I'm just helping someone out. I'm, I'm working on getting the credits I owe you. Please walk away. Buzz, I know you think that explanation is meant to save your ass, but what you don't realize is that you don't have the time to be doing charity work. You should be worried about monetizing every breath you take to pay me my credits! Now, because the fruits of your labor are rightfully mine, these guests of yours are now in my service. He snaps, and all of these armed goons kind of start to surround the three of you. (laughs) Um, So we're going to get a bit of use out of them. Can I go to the bathroom first? No. 
This guy is evil. At least let this man relieve his bladder. <laughs> it's not my bladder. I, I like put like a T like with my hands. <laughs> Time out. We we need a potty break. Um. Uh, this guy. Thank you, uh, Kaj. <laughs> Um, pulls a blaster uh, out of a hilt, um, like somewhere within his jacket. Um, he walks up to you and sticks the nuzzle of the blaster up against your dick and says, <laughs> piss yourself if you need to. Um, it's it's the other side. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I, got a, I got a poop real bad. <laughs> um... I'm so happy we're talking about poop in our first episode. It's Great. not a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> um, neither, neither of those. That attack with advantage weirdly doesn't hit you. Um, <laughs> and point blank, yeah, he does uh, like push you away, um, and essentially, like more guys kind of restrain you. Um, one of my people decided to turn to center and make off with my new starship. Being that they were a special class of stupid with little piloting experience, they crashed the thing down onto the surface of Galoo. You three are going to make yourselves worth the charity and get it for me. Uh, Kaj snaps his fingers. The three of you, Chuck, Mavia, Nemo, are marched a few bays down to another ship decorated in more crypt symbols. You all are loaded onto the ship, and once inside, the crypt goons each attach a thin hexagonal piece of metal to your chest and press a symbol on the front. You all would recognize this as a common piece of technology, especially for this region of the system. It is known as a temperature regulator shield. A flash of translucent red energy surrounds each of your forms before fading into invisibility. These suits will make it possible for you to traverse Galoo without immediately freezing to death. You nervously wait in silence as the ship exits the Rutan spaceport, flies up into orbit, jumps into warp drive. Before long, you are descending once again and the ship touches down. Before any more doors even open, you can hear the wind whipping against the ship outside. You are brought into a special chamber with blast doors and left alone within this small exit space. A voice resonates from the comm system. The ship you're meant to retrieve is to the north, the brand new Carthage Sword 2. For your sake, pray that it wasn't completely destroyed in the crash. Mocking laughter dies out as the goons cut off the comms. The blast doors to the outside open. And even with your TRS devices keeping you alive, the freezing air isn't any kinder. Before you is a wasteland of death that has no intention of sparing you. 
And that's where we'll end our session. Ooh. Chili. Chili, chili, chili. And our whole party's not even together yet. No. Look at that. I'm uh, looking at it. <laughs> yeah, it's because David's a snail, so we need to wait. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of info dumping. Uh, I hope everybody is really excited about this setting. I can't wait uh, to get into more like real, actual diving into your character stuff. Yeah, my um, sphincter couldn't be tighter. I'm glad we know that about about Nemo. That's great. <laughs> he still has the boot. Yeah, still. he's got strong sphincter muscles, though. Oh. Do you think it'll just freeze on Galoo? God, that would be so painful. <laughs> oh man! God, oh, that would be a terrible sensation. It's frozen, stuck inside you, and then you get warmer, and then it. Uh. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks everybody so much for listening. <laughs> we really appreciate it. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a five star review in your favorite listening platform. Share us with your friends. Join the Discord to join in with the conversation on uh, with other fans and friends of the show. And of course, join. Did I already say our Patreon? No. No. Of course I didn't. How could I forget our Patreon? Uh, where you get bonus content every single week. It's a great time. Uh, we're so happy to be here with Campaign Three. Woo! Finally. Yeah. Oh man, Angela, how does it feel to be on the show? So good. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Oh, amazing. Uh, does anybody want to shout anything out or talk about anything on our way out of here? Yeah, shout out my wife. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I know we just did that, yeah. but I wanted to do it again. Shout out Zach's wife. Uh, Thanks, guys. Fantastic. Happy to be here. Just one of the guys, you know. Yep. <laughs> Angela Stenzel, the most pick me girl in the no, show. I wanted to be the most pick me girl. <laughs> okay, there you're winning. There can only be winning. one. All right, bye, everyone. <laughs>